In 2022, when valuations plummeted for SaaS companies, customer success leaders faced a new reality. CEOs and CFOs began scrutinizing the ROI of CS activities. This has led to CS organizations rethinking the metrics they use to define success. In this episode, I will interview two seasoned customer success thought leaders to discuss and debate how customer success organizations should measure their success. I am Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And today I will be speaking with Jim Roth, the President of Customer Success at Salesforce, and Stephen Fulkerson, the VP of the Customer Success Research Area here at TSIA. So let's get this insight engine humming. Welcome, Jim and Steven. Uh, you're both Tectonic alumni, and it's great to have you back. And um, we're going to get right into it here. We know the world has changed for a lot of customer success organizations. And before we get into that, let's start with a little history. Stephen, you've been studying hundreds of CS organizations across the industry. Historically, what are the most common metrics they use to basically ascertain their their success? That's a great question, Thomas. And it's it's a, a situation where I would almost have to go back to, you know, Spock and Star Trek when he says we're using stone knives and bearskins. And that's kind of what I've been seeing in customer success. When I when I came to TSI, I thought that there was going to be a whole bunch of consistency in terms of what's being used. And the reality is there's not a lot of consistency. So if we take a look at your TSI adoption framework, 65% of the industry is not developing it. And the 35% that are, are not using anything other than low adoption, which everybody would call consumption. When we take a look at the top five health scores, they're using two aspects of it. They're using low adoption, high adoption, voice of the customer, business outcome achievement, engagements, and the customer success's opinion, which we talk about as the disposition. When we look at renewals, there's no common practice at all on renewals. The highest one that everybody's using is ARR. They're measuring their ARR, but only 35% of the industry is doing that. When we look at expansion, uh, and we're looking at for commonality, again, no common practice. So at TSI, it has to be 50% or higher to be considered a common practice. Only 37% are measuring upsell and cross-sell as the most common measurement of expansion. When we look at voice of the customer metrics, hands down, NPS is the most commonly used. But when we look at year over year, year, over year trend analysis for NPS, we see it's trending down uh, and it's becoming less companies using it. And then when we look at value achievement metrics in terms of what's being leveraged, it is, again, not a common practice, but value validation is the most common metrics that's being used. So we look at this through multiple categories, but again, the only common practice is in voice of customer with NPS, everything else, not a common practice. Listeners who aren't familiar, when we talk about low adoption, high adoption, it's simply the concept that, okay, if you measure the fact that's, that, that a customer you know logs into your system, okay, that's fine, but that that's low adoption you know visibility. If you are really tracking, okay, what features are they using? Are they using the, the most critical features? Do you have insights? Are they getting value? That's really understanding high adoption. And what you're seeing is that folks are really weighted. If they're doing anything, it's on the low adoption side of, of visibility. And that's it. 
they have no visibility if they are creating a customer that's becoming becoming dependent on their product, nor do they have any visibility if the customer's achieving any type of value or outcome achievement. So the only thing most organizations are able to figure out is consumption. Who's using it and how much are they using it? So so before I bring you into this, Jim, so, so what, what we're hearing there from a broad industry perspective, it's a bit of a hodgepodge in terms of what people are tracking. I would submit that that's a function of two things. Number one is customer success is still you know relatively young as an organizational capability compared to traditional support or you know other areas. So that's one factor. The other factor is the fact that a lot of these customer success organizations, if they were working, you know, working within high growth SaaS companies, were just, you know, focusing on, you know, getting, you know, people in customer success, getting, you know, their adoption plays going and not a, a maniacal focus on some of these success metrics, you know, historically, they didn't have to worry about it. But again, that's what's really changed here. And so, Jim, I think you joined Salesforce about four years ago. And then, so, so when you came in, what were the key success metrics for the customer success or organization at Salesforce? I think it, it was a bit of a hodgepodge, similar to kind of what Stephen described, you know, a combination of kind of renewal and churn metrics, a combination of some top line kind of revenue, um, cross-sell, upsell metrics, um, and then certainly some kind of customer sentiment, a little bit of NPS, some CSAT, all, all of those types of things. But there was all there were also pockets of, of variation because we had customer success a function, yeah, um, and that's kind of what we looked at there. But we also have customer success is a value of the company, and so you had the product teams were looking at some slightly different views of of adoption and consumption. Um, our sales teams were looking at different looks at kind of the top line measures, so it, it wasn't real consistent. Okay, um, and I'd say the one thing that I observed was that a lot of the measures were actually not focused on customer success. They were focused on our own success or Salesforce success. Yeah. And I think that's a key thing that I've noticed as I've talked to other peers as well, is that we all really believe in customer success, but because of the lack of maturity of the measures, we tend to grab on to measures that we've got that are actually measuring our own success because those are easy and available yep. um, versus really pushing the thinking on how would we measure the success of our customer. Jim, you're exactly right. When we when we do these interactive strategy reviews and companies bring us their their metrics and have us take a look at it, uh, you're exactly right. We see that across the board where it is um, organizations really trying to include metrics in their health scores that are self-evaluating. You know how how fast do they renew? How long does it take their you know for them to sign the renewal sheet? And it's more metrics that are internal to their operations versus the customer's behavior. And those are the wrong metrics to measure when it comes to, you know, the customer's willingness to stay with you, grow with you, and, and, and do more business with you. So, so Jim, you basically, Salesforce was a reflection of the industry. So, so a lot of different metrics depending on who, you know, who is, you know, basically looking at customer success, whether it was a product team or sales team or the actual customer success organization. I want to actually click into NPS for a moment here, this net promoter score, because Stephen, you already put on the table that the percentage of CS organizations using that is declining slightly. I think both of you feel there are some limitations to this metric. And, and so, Jim, let me start with you. How does Salesforce use NPS? So we use it in the traditional way. We do the survey <clears throat> a couple times a year. Um, we do it at different levels, at kind of decision maker, macro level, and then at kind of some product and user levels. 
Um, and we look at it, you know, our, our, our evolved view of NPS is it is a useful measure, mm -hmm. but it actually also doesn't measure customer success. Said differently, if you went and asked your customer, do they care what your NPS is? They're like, no, I don't care what your NPS is. And so we think about NPS is actually a measure of Salesforce loyalty, not customer success. And the way we think about the model is if you drive success with your customers, the outcome you get is loyalty to Salesforce. And so NPS is actually a good measure, one of the measures of that, um, but it is still not a measure of customer success. Yeah, interesting. And so, Stephen, your perspective, what, what do you see as some of the limitations here for NPS, the NPS score, if you're a customer success function? There's quite a few. Uh, when it came out in its heyday, it was... Um, a great metric because we didn't really know how to measure customer success when it first started. Um, but it's since proved itself as very unreliable. At its core, Net Promoter Score is a brand awareness score. You're really just trying to figure out how does your brand perceived in the industry. So it doesn't really reflect and mirror retention or renewals. I can't really use that number and go to my board of directors or to my C-suite and tell them with any reliability that I can predict my expansion or retention numbers based off that score. Nor, most importantly, can I predict renewals. Then it gets really confusing because how Fred Reicheld developed this, it's an 11 point scale from zero to 10. So there's a lot of ambiguity from zero to six. Then the, scope, the point scale is 200 points, 100 points positive, 100 points negative. So when you get this score, it's very uh, uncertain as to if the score is good. If I got a 30, is that good? Is it better than someone who gets a, gets a 50? And then there's confusion around, do I put a percentage sign on it or not? Because it's a score. So some companies will put a percentage sign. So they'll put 50% NPS. Well, 50% is a zero score on a 200-point scale. So there's a lot of people reworking this. And for the executives that are running customer success, they cannot get to with 1% to 3% of predictability on their forecast. And then when you talk about a global perspective, and some companies around the globe, a 1%, that's the best score that you can get. Now, on the NPS, it's not a good score. A 10 is a good score. So you have to explain globally when you send this out. And then organizations don't think about NPS as a leading indicator, sending it out to be a leading indicator or a, or a lagging indicator. And most organizations send it out as a lagging indicator, but by then the damage is already done. You can't do too much with the information other than hope that you can fix it and they will stay, but you really got to have metrics that are more leading indicators. Well, I, I am on record on stage of, say, of saying it wasn't uh, this conference, but the one I think in Orlando last May that um, it, that NPS is dead. And I got a lot of grief for that, <laughs> but I, was, I listened to you two. There's clearly, there's some challenges here, right? So, so what you put on the table, Stephen, is, hey, this is not something you can use where there's high correlation to be able to predict renewal, which is what your CFO or CEO cares about. So it's not helpful there. And what you put on the table, Jim, was, and as far as the customer's concerned, the, you know, they're not sitting there going, oh, good, I'm so happy your NPS score is up or down or whatever, that doesn't change if I'm getting value or not. So, so you know, there is value in it, but there are clearly some serious limitations. So let's move forward, you know, from that. And I, and I want to start with you, Stephen, here. So so we want to go beyond where customer success, success metrics are historically, sort of this hodgepodge. Let's go beyond, um, you know, NPS. And before we start putting 
potential metrics on the table, you know, what defines better? So, so Stephen, from your perspective, what should a CS organization care about? They should definitely first be focused on value that the customers receive and an outcome achievement. We all know that if customer success is focused on adoption, the outcomes of adoption performed well is expansion and retention. The outcome of adoption done poorly is churn. So the problem in, in most equations is that customer success organizations, many while being very nascent, are asking the wrong questions. So they're asking the question, and I'm going to give you an analogy. Let's say that you take your significant other out for dinner and you walk in and you walk up to the hostess and say, I would like a table for two. And they go, what's the likelihood you'll come back tomorrow and eat with us? We are kind of like, well, why are you asking me that? I haven't got any value yet. And then you sit down and you order your meal and they ask you, what's the likelihood that you would refer us to a friend, family, or colleague? And you're like, I haven't even got my water yet. Why are you asking that? And this question goes on throughout the meal. But the right time to ask it is after maybe there's consumption of that meal. And then they say, what's the likelihood that you would refer us to a friend, family, or colleague? But the real question we're not asking in customer success organizations is did you get the value that you expected after you received our, our delivery here? And that's the right question. That should be the first question because what we have to identify is did you get va the value that you perceived? Has it been received? Or is the outcome that you expected, is it being received? That's adoption. So if adoption's done well, expansion and retention will happen naturally. But we lead in this industry with asking the final question, are you gonna stay with us, which is retention, or are you going to renew with this? And those are two different questions because retention is different than renewal. I can stay with you, but not renew full value because I've downsold, right? Maybe I don't need as many licenses or maybe I'm not happy. So my $100 investment is now a $50 investment. So we just got to get better at asking the right questions. But to your point, Thomas, when you built the adoption framework, a lot of companies already have this telemetry. They don't even need to ask the question. They can see it in the data but they don't know to look at the data and see what the data is telling them. So I'm hearing, uh, you, you know, you want to lean on value realization. You want to lean on adoption. Those are things that should be front and center. D Jim, uh, you know, your perspective, right? So as a leader of one of the largest customer success organizations, you know, out there, um, what, you know, wh what do you think they should be focused on? What's your scorecard look like? Yeah, so we, we went on this exercise um, about nine months ago where we said, well, let's think about all of the telemetry and all of the signal that we've got about our customers and what can we glean from that. And let's exclude things that measure our own success and really focus on our customer success. And what we found is that we actually had quite a bit of signal. And we, we took a really wide approach, look at all the signal across the company, and it clustered into three buckets. There was signal around adoption, which Stephen just kind of referenced. We can see that in the product of our people logging in, what features are they using? So that's kind of one. Um, the second signal was around the implementation health. So if you look at actually the instance, how healthy is the implementation? You can look for signals like how fast do pages load? How many lines of custom code are there? Are there computer infrastructure issues or errors that are generated? All those types of things are kind of signals of an unhealthy implementation. That's maybe the most foundational. If somebody's got an unhealthy implementation of technology, it's, it's very hard to have success on top of it. So that was kind of a, another cluster. And then the third cluster we found was really around expertise. Um, and what was intriguing on that is we know that if customers go on a journey of building expertise about products, 
they're going to have both a healthier implementation and they're going to have more adoption. Um, and we all have training capabilities, but I'm not just talking about training capabilities. I'm talking about things like events. So we saw, you know, if customers come to our amazing events like Dreamforce or our world tours, they're really there to learn. They aren't there, you know, sometimes I joke with our sales teams, they don't bring their checkbooks to Dreamforce. They come there to learn about our products, to hear about what's coming next and to meet with other customers to be inspired about what they can do with the technology. And so it's all about learning um, and expertise building. And so we kind of, we think about all the signals we have about that. We know if people are coming to events, we know if they're in our offices doing EBCs, we know if they're on trailhead and gaining badges, all those things that they're getting certified. So we had all that signal and we said, oh, those are the three buckets. And so we built a score for each of those, an adoption score, an expertise score, and a technical health score. And then we rolled those all together in kind of a score of scores. And we call that the customer success score. So that is our new measure. And it's been really interesting because not only can we use that for our team, um, but we're now starting to use it with our sales teams, with our partners, with our professional services to align all the teams that interface with our customers and we just launched a few months ago for our premium customers on our signature plan in self-service so our customers can see this score too. So it's become a way to measure customer success, which is this kind of age-old problem in the industry. But it's also now being used as a way to align the, the teams that touch the customer from an experience perspective, an incentive perspective. And by sharing it with the customer, that transparency is driving this accountability where customers can hold us accountable and we can hold customers accountable. Because one of the things we learned on this journey um, is that customers don't look at vendors and say, vendor, you are exclusively responsible for making me successful and I don't have to do anything. That's not how they think. They recognize that it takes two, that both the vendor and the customer have to drive the outcome. And so sharing that data and aligning with the customer on a measure has also been really useful. So if I play some of that back, right, and again, if we think about history, so let's say that um, I was a customer success organization, I had an NPS score, and maybe I'm looking at, let's say, churn rate or ARR, and all those metrics, again, you can sit down with the customer, they don't care about any of that. But what you what you just said, and, and Stephen, you were on you know value realization and adoption as well, but Jim, your sco new scorecard there, if you sit down with a customer and you say, hey, this is what I want to you know, I can give you a score and I can compare you to other customers, but we're going to talk about, you know, is your implementation even healthy? Because you have a self-inflicted wound here. Let's talk about that. Oh, hey, you, your your uh, adoption um, is at this level, maybe it's pretty good. But oh, by the way, your ongoing education and expertise, you know, you're lagging compared to what other companies your size, you know, do. That's really helpful to me as a customer because you're giving me really great insights about, am I going to be successful with your platform, you know, yes or no. So, so I get that. And, and the fact that you're able to use this with sales, with product teams, with professional services, and you're all looking at the same success metrics, I'm sure is helpful as well, because, you know, those interfaces are so key for the customer success organization, right? How you're working with sales, how you're working with professional services and the product team, et cetera. So that to me feels like a step forward beyond a doubt in terms of having something that is meaningful uh, to the customer. Now, Stephen, I'm going to loop you into this because you've been working with your advisory board uh, to develop something called the core score for customer success organizations. So describe you know, that lens. Yeah, so the feedback that we get from executives around NPS is that I don't trust it. It's not data that I will put my career on. Um, so 
the pain that we're feeling from CS executives is it's something that's just there that sales uses to talk to customers, marketing puts on their websites, but they don't want to run their business off of it. So what's the metric that they can really put their arms around to say, I feel very comfortable with. Uh, so what we've been trying to do is, is answer that pain. And I put together uh, the core score, which is a framework to really address that. And we looked at the categories of what is responsible for customer success executive. And as you think about it, it's going to go in, in order that CS executives think about it. I would actually reverse the order and tell you what the most important is. But CS executives are thinking about retention, right? Logo churn, volume churn. How many people are going to stay with me? They need to account for that to their executive leadership. Next is renewal. So those that are going to stay, how much revenue can come? And, and then the third one is the hiccup of NPS. It asks a very vague, ambiguous, ambiguous question, and it's, What's the likelihood you would refer us to friend, family, or colleague? And what we hear in the industry is that that question is too vague and ambiguous, and it causes problems. The likelihood to refer to a friend or colleague can be positive or negative because that question is never asked. So we look at it and say, company poly policy aside, what is the likelihood you would be a positive reference for our company? So we're putting the word reference in there. And then the fourth category is really outcome achievement. What is the likelihood your company has or will receive expected value and outcomes? So we look at those four uh, categories and the, the answers to those, then we've trimmed the scale down from a 11 point scale that Fred Reicheld has, zero to 11. We've trimmed it down to five and we're really just looking at, you know, not very likely, very likely, uh, those types of categories. And we're trying to figure it out and narrow down the scope. And the if you add those four up, that really gives you your NPS score. That's your 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 industry uh, brand awareness. So you get five for those four scores, those four categories, you get five total scores. Now, what this is going to do for the industry, there's some organizations very mature like Salesforce and Jim and his team at Salesforce that already have a lot of this data. So we look at it from the aspect, if you're a nascent organization, these are four questions that you can ask that gives you your NPS, it gives you brand awareness, but that gives you the ability to get close in proximity so that you can ask uh, the questions that give you the data that you can put put your hat on and say yes, back to your board of directors. Because uh, again, if, if you're as much as 3% off and you're a billion dollar company and you're 3% off on your predictions of retention, renewal, that's $500 million. Yep. That's a lot of money. And if you miss that number, there's a lot of layoffs going to happen. So the core score is really designed to say, if you've got nothing in your nascent organization, these are the four types of questions you're going to want to ask, right? And ask, and again, they're all customer facing questions, right? You're asking the customer, right? All, all four of those. All four of them. You know, are you going to renew? Um, you know, all, all, are you going to be a reference, et cetera, et cetera. So those are all customer facing. All customer facing. But here's where we make the transition is, is somebody, like I said, you know, mature organization like Salesforce, if they've already got the telemetry, then they can just plug that in. And if they're going, hey, what, you know what, we don't have a telemetry that really tells us that we have really good um, outcome achievement or value achievement, then you can ask that question. So it's one question. You've got the telemetry for the other three. We can still give you a score. So we take your percentages and we give you, how do you translate that into a five-point system scale? That way you can then can still get your uh, core score. So we're really trying to help put uh, a story in front of executives 
that NPS does. That's a story, but we, we're trying to get those executives to where they can say with one to 3% of predictability, who's going to stay with me? How much are they going to renew? Will they reference? And the most important question, and we hear this, Thomas, hands down from everybody that's piloting this with us. So our customer success advisory boards piloting it as well as other companies. And they say the question that we miss over and over as a, as a tech company is we're not asking the question and we're not even thinking about what's the likelihood that you will receive your expected outcomes or expected value. And that's a miss. Interesting. So, so let me let me marry these two thoughts here, right? Because if I listen to this, um, Stephen, what you put on the table, I think if, if I'm a CS leader and I don't have good telemetry or, you know, I just realize I don't have my arms around, you know, my success metrics, I would, you're saying, start with these four questions and you can go out to your, to your customers and you can ask these four and you can use that data to get a better line of sight to, you know, really the health and, you know, what's going on. So that's number one. Then Jim, what you put on the table is you say, look, you need to get have telemetry on what's going on with adoption and the, and the health of the environment and what they're and you need to be playing that telemetry back to them that's related to their success. So I think that that you know like Stephen, what you're doing there is a 101 play. Like anybody could do that, whether you have telemetry or not. Jim, you've got a 201 play on the table, which is this is where really every customer success organization should get to is they can play to their customer a real sense of their own health and their own adoption if it's meaningful to them, right? And then the final question I have for both of you on, in terms of the success metrics, then then there is sort of the, I'll call it the business of customer success, you know, whether you're, you're reporting on, you know, retention numbers, you know, churn numbers, overall growth and expansion numbers. What, what are, and I'll, I'll go to you, Jimmy, what are the top of mind internal business operation metrics that you think customer success leaders have to have their, their arms around? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a lot of the ones that that Stephen talked about, which is, uh, you know, whatever metrics you use around churn, right? So you want to make sure customers stay with you and you want to make sure that they're growing and thriving, right? So you're looking at the ARR of the account. I mean, those are really the, the couple that I see and there's different ways to cut those or measure them, but yeah, but that's really the key. Um, you know, again, just to kind of draw a contrast to what Stephen put on the table, I, I really like it, but I do think that is a measure of vendor loyalty, not customer success. And I totally agree. You have to be able to predict the growth and the churn and all these things. And I think his framework, and I love the idea of the questions and the the smaller scale, but it really is around vendor loyalty, which I think is the 101 play. I, I think the 201 play to get ahead of that a little bit more and have more of a leading indicator is actually the customer success. And, and as I was listening to the conversation, it struck me that if it's, a, if it's a metric that you can sit down and share with a customer and have a dialogue about, it's probably a customer success measure. If it's a measure you're going to sit down and talk to your CFO about, it's probably a vendor loyalty measure, right? While you would ask your customer about things um, like, would you be a reference? Um, that's not a metric you're going to go have a conversation with a customer about. You're collecting it from the customer, but it's not a metric the customer actually cares about. Um, and so they're both important and they go together. Um, I really like the way you framed it up, Thomas. Well, well I think if I play what you, uh, what you said there, Jim, I think what we're, we're using the word customer success uh, in two different ways here, which is fine. And, but, you know, for the audience here, I agree with what you just said. A, you know, a, if you're sitting down with a customer and you're able to talk about a particular number or metric, 
or insight, then you're talking about the customer's success. <laughs> so that's a customer's success metric as opposed to the business of running customer success. Right. And there's metrics that we need as customer success leaders. And you say, is that a metric that, you know, is that a customer success metric as in the business of customer success? So there's definitely two different categories there. And they're both, you know, obviously, you know, super important. And I, you know, one of the things that I'm observing, you know, in this environment sort of post 2022 is in, you know, I did this podcast with Nick Maida a little while ago. And we talked about the fact that. You know, there are a lot of customer success organizations that were there and, you know, they sort of had, yeah, I'll, I'll call it, you know, feel good metrics, right? Like it could be just, you know, customer sat is a feel good. NBS is maybe a feel good, right? And they didn't have like hard metrics that they were responsible for. Like, hey, you own a renewal number. You own an ARR number, right? Like they had, they were very far removed from that. And when things get tight and you get into this downturn, then that's when CEOs and CFOs start saying, so tell me customer success. <laughs> got a lot of you running around, right? And, um, you know, yeah, I got this kind of fuzzy customer SAT number or NPS number, but what is the ROI here, right? What is the ROI? And so I think that um, you are going to be, you know, way more strategic if you are closer to the revenue, number one, right? So I think that's one pivot we've seen. A lot of customer success organizations now own that number, that big, you know, renewal number. And that's typically the biggest revenue number for the company. I'm sure in any given year for Salesforce, the renewal number way outweighs any net new number coming, you know, logo number coming in. So, so that's one way to be highly relevant. And the other way to be highly relevant is to really, which is, you know, what you were on, Jim, is really have your finger on the pulse of the customer's success and be able to talk about that, be able to quantify that, and then obviously be able to connect the dots between what your organization is doing to move that number. Hey, we have customers that are, you know, low adoption number, low customer, you know, configuration, you know, health number, you know, low education expertise number, and this is what we're doing to improve those. Then, you know, then executives can get their arms around. That's tangible. You know, they can really get their arms around that. So, and I think that that is the challenge facing, you know, a lot of customer success leaders right now is you've got to step up your game in terms of being able to quantify, improve, you know, your value to the overall business model, you know, full stop. And so, so with that, you know, I'd be, I'd be curious, you know, any guidance you would give a CS leader and I'll start with um, you, Jim, and I'll go then over you, Stephen, you, you know, if you were a CS leader and trying to get your arms around, you know, being able to prove the value to the company, um, anything beyond some of the things we talked about that you would, you know, guidance you'd give, give somebody? I mean, I, I really think you have to have measures in both of those buckets, the, the business of customer success, which I kind of think of as the vendor loyalty, but also like, what are you really doing for your customers? And I think what's fascinating is now with, with so many um, pieces of our experiences are now digitized, you actually have a lot more signal than we've ever had. Don't just think about the signal is coming from telemetry in your product, although that's really useful for things like adoption. It kind of has to. Um, there, there are other signals that you have about your customer experience. It was a, it was a, an unlock for us when we started to think about our event data and what sessions at events people badge into. And it took us a while to figure out where that data was living. We knew it was collected. Um, but when we really thought end to end across the whole journey of what this signal tells us about customer success, um, it was an unlock. And so certainly there is new telemetry we want to go build. 
but we're actually sitting on a whole lot of signal. Uh, and so I just think it's worth stepping back and saying, what's all the signal you have in your four walls? And what does it tell you about how your customers are behaving and how much success they're having? Yeah. And, and I'll just build on that for a quick second. I mean, I, you are spot on in terms of the fact that if you really want to understand what's going on with the customer holistically, right? It's not just, hey, I, you know, the product itself. You do have, you know, a lot of data streams. I did a podcast quite a while ago with the, the woman who runs customer analytics at ServiceNow. And she was describing how they have, I think, 16 listening posts. And so it's what you're talking about. Well, what are those listening posts? It could be telemetry coming off of our website. It is coming out of training programs. It is coming out of, you know, it could be coming out of, you know, um, the sales, you know, the CRM system, plus our, you know, what we're getting on the service side or the product side. And it's really thinking about where are those sources of insight, bringing that in to create, you know, a holistic view. And the other thing you put on the table is this is a the golden age of telemetry, right? We have more insight. And we, but I do think a lot of companies, there's a book, I forget how many books ago we wrote about the data piling up in the corner, right? We're getting all this telemetry and it's just piling up in the corner and we're not really ingesting it and leveraging it um, in a positive way for both our own business model and, you know, the customer getting value. So, so I think that's spot on. S Steven, I'm curious, you know, how would you coach a CS leader who's trying to prove their value of the organization you know, to the executive team? Well, I'd, I'd start with, you know, going back to what Jim was evangelizing, what he was talking about. Um, you know, we, we would commonly call that benchmarking, right? So uh, Jim's exactly right. You know, that kind of data is paramount uh, within a customer success organization to put right back in front of the customers. And when we look across the benchmark of our members that do benchmark their customers and show them you know, they have um, a higher expansion rate compared to those that don't, um, even in the industry, about 2% higher. Their volume churn rate is 3% lower. Their health scores being fully automated are 30% higher than those that don't. And they typically have about 17% more journey maps created. So there's more robust capabilities. And we've seen customers that uh, of ours that have these, you know, benchmarks that they share with the customers to show how they're performing some have used our adoption framework, like uh, Blackbaud has reversed our adoption framework, and then they put that in front of the customer. There's a competitive nature in all of us that, you know, we want to know how we're doing and we want to know how we're performing compared to our peers in the industry. Yep. And that motivates us to do more. And I think that those types of benchmarks and that telemetry is really great, you know, when we're really talking about, you know, directors and below. They're, that's the group that's got to go get that, whether it's customer success, customer experience, CS operations. What I think an executive needs to be thinking about is that data has a story. And just like if you go to military intelligence, there's all this intelligence coming in and there's very seasoned analysts that have to go through that data and help tell the story. And there's a position that's highly underutilized in customer success called the data scientist, the customer success data scientist. And when we look at correlations of companies that have a data scientist, they're hired to either be in CX or CS operations. When we look at their performance, they're expansion rates are higher than companies that don't have a data scientist or across the industry, and on average, about 5% higher. Uh, their workflow automation rate is typically 20% higher. Uh, they have a lower high-touch model. They have a higher low-touch model. They have health scores fully automated, more journey maps created, about 50% more. Um, their alignment to success plans and playbooks are higher because they're looking at that data, and their CSAT and NPS are higher. So the data shows having people dedicated to looking at that data and then helping tell a story 
will do better. And then when the core score, when you look at that, that's probably, uh, to Jim's point, that's probably an executive VP or higher that's really trying to go, okay, if the data is not telling me a story because we're not mature enough, what can I do to talk to the customer directly or deliver from my, uh, derive from my own data? But a CS executive, they've got to be thinking about this is a lot of data coming at us. Do we have the right people in place that interpret it? And it can't be, oh, let's put let's put Bob over there because he's good at math. Let's throw him into that data science role or let's put Sally over there because she's good at equations. It's got to be people that really have the business case and understand what the data is telling in terms of uh, progression forward. If you just look at something simple like Microsoft Project, you know, you could use Microsoft Project very easily, but if you're doing what-if analysis, that tells a completely different story about a super user or a maven. And that's what the data we have to look at is, what are they using, um, how, how are they using it, and are they becoming dependent on it? Can they do business as well without our technology or services? And then for a technology leader that is not as a service, let's talk about hardware. Okay, you've got a much harder job because you can't see how your technology is being used. You have to be thinking about the questions that you can ask at every touch point from a salesperson that's going to talk to a customer support person that's going to talk to the customer to a CS executive that's going to talk to them. Um, you've got to, uh, to a training person. You've got to divvy up those questions that helps you collect that so that you can figure out what the story is. So those organizations, they have a bigger challenge because they can't see the technology being used. They have to figure that out. And it takes everything that we've talked about to make that story true. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. There's a there's a key theme here, I think, again, for, for CS leaders that, uh, that both of you have put on the table, and that is that, you know, being sophisticated with your data is important. And if you think about, again, the basic, you know, the concept of adoption, right, just understanding is the customer truly adopting and, and what does that mean? You've got to be able to analyze that data and do those correlations, right? And I think it is probably stunning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess stunning how many technology companies and customer success organizations don't have their arms around that? They they maybe have the data that's piled up on the floor. Maybe they have the data and are kind of looking at it, but they don't have sophisticated analysis around it. And I, and I do think that the bar is getting higher there, right? That you that you really do have to be sophisticated because Jim, you know, like the things you're talking about, you can't go and have those conversations with the customer around your customer success scorecard there if you haven't done a workload around that data, right? A lot of analysis, you know, to provide them, you know, the benchmark to give them the insight of what good, bad, and ugly is looking like. I mean, you have to have some, some, you know, real data chops as, as an organization to be able to do that. And, and if you don't, as a customer success leader, um, that is a, you know, a serious handicap. You know, there's one other thing we haven't talked about with it. You're right. You have to have the chops to go, you know, do something with the data, but it's also really a key in terms of scaling these customer success motions, which we haven't talked about. So, you know, in the case of what we're doing, we're, we're looking at um, different signals coming in. We're, we're putting it into um, one of our new products called Data Cloud. Um, and just analyzing it and looking at it is, is kind of one piece of it. But we want to action those things. So if we see a signal is either low or high and we want to action it, we then trigger things like, hey, we want the AE to make a phone call or we want someone in the call center to make a phone call or we want to send a digital marketing campaign to go action it, right? So it's, it, it, it can scale a lot better if you can trigger those digital actions than just saying, hey, I have to get you on the phone with my really expensive data scientist. That won't scale at all. And so 
you're right. Step one is getting the data together, getting it organized, figuring out the correlations and things like that. But then if you, if you really organize it well, you can really go light it up in your experience. Customer logs onto your portal and you can put a banner up there that says, hey, did you know about this, that, or the other? Those are the types of things we really want to be able to go do. Yeah, and I'll and I'll put another one on the on the on the table. I was doing this case study on the uh, AI being uh, an AI use case within customer success, and it's actually uh, Informatica was just writing it up. I met with their chief customer officer, and they're using AI to basically do the adoption analysis, right? So the other thing you're going to see, so so part of it is you get data, you do correlations, and typically that ends up being a dashboard, and a CSM has to look at that dashboard and go, oh, I've got a red light there, whatever that is going to go away right we're going to skip over dashboards and and what you're on is it's going to you know it's going to go from we're looking at the data we are running intelligence around that we are going to see a problem and we are going to basically fire off an action that may be a digital action it may be a human intervention but that's just going to happen but again you can't get to that place of scale and if you don't have your data house in order <laughs> right if you aren't Absolutely. so it's but but i think the game you know, this is another theme we're on with, you know, TSI, as you, as you know, is, I mean, the, the, the capabilities here, the AI capabilities, the tools that are going to be in play are rapidly evolving. And if you're not adopting those as a CS organization, you know, your model is going to look incredibly both dated to your customer and it's going to be cost prohibitive. There's just no doubt about it. You know, you're just, and so, so I think it's another message here to all the CS leaders is, is, you know, not only how you're scoring yourself, metricing success, that's changing, but you know, this data game is, you know, you got to get your arms around it and you got to be ready for this new wave of tools that are coming out and be able to take advantage of that. So you can scale cost effectively. So I don't know, guys, you know, what do you think, Jim, exciting time to be a CS leader or terrifying? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's super exciting. I think, um, all, all of our technologies are, you know, taking advantage of the AI as well. Um, and so there's an opportunity that's really cool and exciting, but then we also need to take advantage of it. I think, I think it's, it's really exciting, um, with all the things going on. So couldn't be a better time. Yeah, that's good. That, that's good. I like the glass is half full there for you. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I think it's exciting time too. I really do. But I, I do think that, um, you know, CS organizations, tech companies in general are going to have to lean into a wave of change here and change management that is is unprecedented probably in our industry, you know. And so it's going to be, I think it's going to be um, both uh, interesting and terrifying at the same time is what I think it's, it's going to end up playing out here. So I'm watching the clock here. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your, your time here, gentlemen, I really appreciate this conversation. I, I think it's going to help a lot of CS leaders as they get their heads around, you know, what the new world order is here. Um, and I always like to close with the uh, the question of the day. So, if you are a customer success leader, are you comfortable and confident with how you are measuring the success of your organization? Cheers, everybody. Mm-hmm.